This is the Women Encouraged Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so it's a joy to welcome you here to these conversations about loving God, loving His Word, and growing in faithfulness to Him. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to our second episode of the Good Theology series. Today's conversation is about how our theology, our study of who God is, impacts the way we love our neighbor. My guest today is artist, author, and entrepreneur Ruth Jo Simons. Ruth's work sharing the beauty of the gospel has touched lives around the world, and she continues to be a solid voice pointing us to the word. Today, Ruth and I talk about what it means to love our neighbor, what Christian fellowship is, how we define biblical love, forgiveness, and more. We're praying that this conversation will prompt you to dwell on what is true about God and the way we love our neighbors out of the overflow of what God has done in our hearts and lives. Let's get started now with my conversation with Ruth. Ruth, I'm super happy to have you back here, friend. Thanks for joining me again. Oh, it's so fun to be with you, even though we're not in person. But my goodness, it's so fun that we've spent some actual physical time together and it's fun to reunite. Yeah, awesome. Well, I know you and there's a lot of people who will know you, obviously, but would you just share a little bit about who you are and what life is like for you and your family these days? Tell us about what you're working on and all the things. (laughs) Of course. I'm Ruth Jo Simons. I am an author of a few books recently. The first one was Grace Lace, Discovering Timeless Truths Through Seasons of the Heart, and then Beholding and Becoming few small little books along the way. And then my husband and I wrote Foundations, 12 Truths to Shape a Family, a Family Devotional. And then in, I don't know when this will air, but November 2nd, my first Bible study with Lifeway called Truth Filled, the practice of preaching truth to yourself comes out. And that is a Bible study through the book of Colossians using Colossians as a template for how we can learn to preach truth back to our own hearts. And so um, I'm also the founder of gracelace.com where um, it started as a blog and then ended up being um, a website in which I've been able to share my artwork and my words through products and just beauty and truth and things that can adorn our homes and our lives and keep us focused on the word of God throughout the day. And so I'm grateful that I get to do both and occasionally get to speak as well, which is why I've been to your neck of the woods. And so just grateful. And I'm a mom to six boys. My oldest is 18, youngest is seven, and been married to Troy for 22 years. And we've talked about this before, but he, in previous seasons, was a pastor and a headmaster of a classical Christian school, which we have that kind of in common as well, classical education. And so currently we are all full-time homeschooling and full-time with Grace Laced. That's so great. I love that. And I have been very encouraged by you and Troy from afar, like having never met him. But actually, one of the things that kind of inspired our team to think about asking you to talk about this particular topic was the book that you guys wrote together, Foundations. Mm -hmm. And um, you really do a lot for families, I think, through that book to encourage them to walk in a Christ-like manner together as a family. And 
to build a solid foundation. And you guys talk a lot about interpersonal relationships in that book. And so we were so encouraged by that and excited to hear from you about this topic today. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, this is part of our Good Theology series. And so we want to talk about what does it mean to love our neighbor and how does what we know about God and the theology that we have about him impact the way that we live with one another, interact with one another, et cetera. So such a good topic. It is, and it's so necessary. And I think we're seeing a lot of the fruit of um, not understanding this, perhaps, in our culture. And it's coming out in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of heated stuff going on here and there. And it's going to be a rich topic to get into. And I feel like we'll just be skimming the surface in so many ways. But I'm excited to just start the conversation in the first place. So let's just jump right in with talking about some of these fundamentals and the practical application of loving our neighbor. Can you just start us off by telling us what does it mean to love our neighbor? Yeah, I think in the biblical sense, the simplest way to put it is to to serve and love others the way you would love yourself, like the way you want to be treated, the way God tells you to treat others is in a Christ-like manner and to love them, like the golden rule ultimately says, love them as you would love yourself. And that neighbor could be your next door neighbor. It could be your community. It could be the the person in your home, the whole family that's living under one roof. That's also your neighbor. And I think it's an interesting thing for us to sometimes as believers, I think we think of loving our neighbors as taking a casserole over to the folks down the street. And it yeah. absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, and there are Plenty of ways, especially if you live on a cul-de-sac with other neighbors within walking distance, absolutely mowing lawns and checking up on somebody when they have a new baby. Those are all ways to love our neighbors. But I think sometimes we overlook the part where loving our neighbor, loving one another starts right where we are with the people who are either easy or difficult to love in our spheres of influence, right? under our roofs or in our extended families or in our communities, because ultimately the way we love the world and the people who are around us in our communities and who live near us will ultimately be an extension of how we choose to love one another, even when it's hard at home. Don't you think? Yeah. Absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think that's one thing we talk with our kids a lot about is, you know, you feel like it's so easy to love your buddy that you see once a week at church or, Mm -hmm. you know, you go hang out with him. But the reality is you really do the most practice in terms of loving your neighbor and um, working through problems with them in your own home. And that's why we need to see the people that we live with as our neighbors. It's it's easy for us to lose sight of that. Absolutely. So, When we talk about Christian fellowship, this is something that's come up a lot in the last couple of years for me. I have had a couple of friends that have said, I never understood what Christian fellowship was. Like I would hear that word and I didn't understand it until I saw it being lived out. And and they had kind of a definition that they had made in their mind from what they imagined fellowship would be like. And I, so this is something that I wonder if a lot of people have misconceptions about, or they struggle with understanding this, or they want to kind of feel like they can manufacture it. But mm. I, I want to know what you, what your perspective is on this, that about what Christian fellowship is, and mm. also tied into that, what is Jesus's desire for us as we live in fellowship with each other? It's a good question, and you know, I think um, when we say Christian fellowship, it suddenly conjures up, like you said multiple images in our minds. Some people think of Christian fellowship maybe as going to a Bible study once a week or knitting with a bunch of 
women who are from your church or, um, and it seems like a Christian fellowship is often tied to doing stuff like going to events or being at activities. And, um, you know, that's pretty, I think that's pretty modern day scheduled, you know, kind of Christian fellowship. If you go to an aerobics class at your church or something, which that's that's so goofy, but, but you know what I mean? But I think biblically speaking, Christian fellowship occurs it must occur any time brothers and sisters in the Lord are together or separated, maybe physically, but together in spirit. And it means that I think ultimately when we look at all the instructions for the church, all the instructions for Christians to live out their faith with other brothers and sisters, because you don't have fellowship with the world, you have fellowship with Christians. You might fellowship in the sense that you do stuff with the world. You can go to a dance class and talk to another mom of a, of a young gal in your, in your dance class and she's not a believer and you can have general fellowship with her, but that's not Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship means you are part of the family of God together. And so it, must exist whether you are doing things and doing activities or not. And yes, proximity and being together, fellowshipping and not neglecting the actually communing together in person, that is necessary, which is why this year has been so difficult, right? You know, as we navigate the local rules and regulations and and how to best serve our communities digitally, in person, adhering, and yet being mindful about what our rights are and how we want to continue fellowshipping. Those are all that locally we all are wrestling with. We all are um, really dealing with our own conscience about and dealing with our own pastoral staff about. And so that's, you know, we don't need to go necessarily there right now here, but I would encourage women to not think about Christian fellowship as scheduling something on your calendar, just, just going yeah. and having, having coffee once a week. Yep. I got done with my Christian fellowship. And then therefore the rest of the week, it doesn't really matter who I'm checking in on or who I'm spending time with. I got my Christian fellowship in because I'm a part of a Bible study or I'm in a mentoring group or something like that. I think it's more important to think you are a daughter of a king and you mm-hmm. are part of the kingdom. And so therefore your brothers and sisters are constantly in need of being part of a family together. So how are you participating? Christian fellowship is really part of being a part of a family together. And so when we look at God's word about sharing things, either physically, the early church sharing what they had with one another, or bearing each other's burdens, or speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, when we're talking about these different ways in which we address one another, that shouldn't be just Sunday morning. That shouldn't be just mixing up your coffee at the coffee bar before you go into church. That is an all-the-time, everyday occurrence. Now, it can't be with, you know, the 200 people that go to your church, you won't be able to have that depth of fellowship with every person. But I think we all must be constantly seeking out the relationships and cultivating that circle around us where we are part of the body and we are functioning as family members, not just those who attend something that we think is called Christian fellowship and we attend it. And then the rest of the week, we're not really in the family of God or we don't act as if we belong to a larger body. Yeah, that's so good. And it's so important. I think we need to be careful to differentiate between fellowship opportunities and fellowship itself, because 
going, showing up at a thing doesn't mean you're going to have fellowship that has to do with um, what you engage in. It's showing up at the event isn't in itself the fellowship. And I think that that terminology is so important. You know, I think also when we look at what Jesus says about fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he is talking about, he, he, you know, he says through the book of John, you know, like that he wants us to be one as he and the Father are one. And ultimately that, the thought of that is ultimately that there is fellowship as in there's true communion. There is a, there's a oneness. There's, it's more than just being in the same room and doing the same things together. And so I think in a world where we think we're being vulnerable, if we simply post something on social media, or we think we have a relationship, if we comment, not that those things aren't valuable. I value that you, Bethany, and I have a relationship, a relationship that we can have. And it's simply, we're not in each other's lives every day, but we get to encourage one another across the internet and across platforms. So there's value in that. But at the end of the day, when you and I, in our respective local environments, whether it's in our homes or with the people who we invite over for dinner or in our local church, the Christian fellowship that we have with other believers need to be perpetually aimed towards becoming more and more unified that there might be more vulnerable, true communion with one another, that there's confession and repentance, and there is a desire to see one another sanctified, which sometimes means speaking truth and love and, and asking, are you okay? Or, or saying, I've noticed. You know, those are things that are really difficult in our culture. It's difficult to speak into anyone else's life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult to say, I noticed that you're really struggling in this area with your kids. I would love to encourage you this way, or how can I help? Those are really difficult things to say because we yes. all like to kind of just t- keep to ourselves and then, you know, basically keep all the hard stuff behind closed doors. But if you look at the kind of fellowship we're invited into, the union we're invited into in Christ, it ultimately is one where there is no shame and there's no judgment. There is ultimately every bit of growth to be more Christ-like. And so that's really what we're building each other up on. But ultimately, you can't get there if you're not actually intentionally seeking to be in each other's lives in that way. I mean, I can't just go to your house and suddenly say, Bethany, I would really love to speak into, well, there's no (laughs) trust there unless we have if we spent that time together, unless we've cultivated that, unless it's been an invitation to say, I want Christian fellowship with you where you're my sister in Christ and I'm your sister in Christ, I invite you to speak into my life. That's the opening of saying we belong to each other and we're in the family together. Mm-hmm. So um, your holiness is my burden and my holiness should be your burden as well. Like we should care about each other's sanctification. And so that's kind of a long answer to some of this, but I would say, you know, that's what's missing a lot is that we think that we can somehow achieve or we could get closer to what is asked of us to, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We think we could accomplish that by just going to church on Sundays, and that's simply not true. That's actually so beautifully put, and I, I think— it's something that we often don't think about because we're just so busy with our lives. We're so busy scheduling this and that. And then we feel like, like you kind of mentioned, we feel like showing up at church, standing next to somebody at the coffee bar while you pour your cup, mm-hmm. that counts as Christian fellowship. But 
it you do have to take the fellowship opportunities, but then with that come the responsibility to engage and that call to belong because we belong to Christ to belong with each other and to really spend the time investing in one another's holiness and sanctification because this is the call of being a Christian. It's not like me and Jesus all by myself over here at my house. Like I need right. I need the fellowship of the saints. I need the believers in my life to call me out on sin, to encourage me when I'm discouraged and yeah. to sharpen me and soften me and those are all things that is a beautiful design that God has for us. So, we have this sad situation in our world where the world has redefined or they think they've redefined what love means. It's really quite tragic that they're missing out on God's definition of love and what love truly is. Can we talk for a minute about just defining love according to God's word and his character? And I think this is where like we start to talk about how our theology of God changes how we how our real life human interactions go. What do what do you have to share about that? Yeah, you know, I I find that, and I write about this a lot because I need it myself, but I find that the more I want to see specific traits come out in my life, or I want to exhibit these good fruit, fruit of the spirit in my life, I really just need to have a higher view of God. It doesn't mean that it's going to magically appear, but the more I think and know who he is, the more those things will grow. Because if God is love, then I need to know what his standard and what his definition is. And ultimately I need to see what God does to show love because that will ultimately keep me from redefining it myself. Because quite frankly, if God is love and he is patient and long suffering and always leads people to repentance with kindness, if he is just and he is good and if he is, if he is forbearing and he, if he ultimately loves unconditionally, those are things that I can on any given day choose that I don't want to do it that way. I mean, quite frankly, I wake up in the morning as a mom and sometimes I just don't want to be patient with an offense again or be, you know, training up my kids in the same things again. I kind of want to just, you know, fuss and get mad and say, I've already said this one time never struggle with this again, but that's not the way God deals with us. And in his loving kindness towards us, we see all the justice and all the kindness and all the mercy and all the um, patience all at once. And so we are not God and we cannot be him, but as image bearers, sanctification makes it possible for us to day by day be transformed into his likeness more and more. And so in 2020 in a time where it is so hard to know how to love others. Yeah. Um, just on a practical level, it's hard to love others who we fundamentally disagree with, or love, it's hard to love others who are making really terrible decisions. And then just closer to home, sometimes it's hard to love your spouse because you're all stuck in the same house mm. and going on month number eight without a whole lot of exciting, normal things that to do and no trips to go on. It is hard to love. And yet love isn't just an emotion where we simply say, I'm going to overlook everything today and treat you super nice. Well, obviously we definitely want to grow in being affectionate and being nice and kind and being thoughtful. But 
love isn't simply just buying coffee for the person driving through ahead of you mm-hmm. or behind you, I'm sorry, yeah. behind you at Starbucks. It's not just a, a nice goodwill action. It's self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's choosing to lay yourself down and say, okay, ultimately, if God is everything and he is my worth, he is my identity, if Jesus Christ defines everything that I really need in my life, then I don't have to force everybody on the internet to know my position and and be mad when somebody is against it. I don't I don't have to have that approval to make me feel better. So therefore I can love somebody who disagrees with me. I can love a spouse who's having a difficult time in the season and isn't speaking to me super kindly and right now for whatever reason. I don't have to throw a fit myself. I can love him through that because ultimately I don't need to find my joy and happiness through him or anyone else that my loving somebody else is not conditional on whether that person loves me and gives me what I need, which is what the world really thinks, right? The world is basically like, you get what you deserve and you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back or I, you know, you love me in the way I want and then you'll get some of my love as well. And that's how the social, that's how social media operates and how that's how the world operates. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And then, I mean, if you take it a step further from away from love, like it starts to look like, and if you don't love me the way I want, then I'm going to cancel you or I'm going to say rude things about you. And it's like, I either I get what I want or I punish you. And that's not the Christian example of love. And I think that's what makes that misunderstanding of love so stark is like, well, what do you do? How do you respond when you don't get what you feel like you deserve? Though that looks totally different from a Christian perspective than it does from a non-Christian or an unbelieving perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. I think on that note, I guess, when we talk about relationships, as Christians, we understand that the fundamentally the biggest problem in relationships is sin. And this has been all of human history, basically, from maybe a few days into the garden. So here we are, yeah. and we've made it to 2020, and there is sin in our hearts, in the world around us. We can see it everywhere. And it's is an obstacle to having really good Christian fellowship or having good relationships with unbelieving friends. Yeah. For the Christian woman listening to this, can we just talk a little bit about that role of repentance in mm-hmm. keeping and maintaining Christian fellowship and also the necessity of forgiveness? I know those are kind of two sides of the same issue, yeah. but um, let's start with talking about repentance. Right. Well, you know, let me just even dial it back just a little bit and say we often think about, you know, when you let's, let's not even call it Christian fellowship, let's just say when we think about having a friend from church and that's a difficult relationship, or let's get real practical and say, you might have a girlfriend and a friend who you really love and she's a believer and you want to serve her well, but there's this ongoing thing that just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. There's, there are difficult people in our lives, right? I mean, you, you might run a small business and work with team members that aren't always easy to love or know how to deal with and they're all believers and you want to do it right. And okay. So we all have our different scenarios. When Troy and I were writing foundations and looking at how much we wanted our boys to exhibit the one another's of the gospel, because those are the things that we want in every relationship, whether it's in your, your church, in your, um, in the girl, in the relationship where you go to coffee with one of your girlfriends or you work out with that friend or whoever it is, your sister-in-law, you all, we all want those. We want to see the one another's, but the reality is we can't even begin 
the one another's of the gospel unless we first start with recognizing that we are the primary sinner, right? Yeah. We are the first. We, if we don't start with repentance and humility and recognizing that we've been forgiven much, so therefore we can forgive much. I mean, I'm throwing those two things back together for you, but my point is to say, you know, when we wrote those 12 foundations, the first one was love God above all mm-hmm. else, above all else. And number two was hate sin, yes. especially your own. Yes. So we didn't even want to start. We did. And it's not that we made that up because ultimately the apostle Paul does it over and over again mm-hmm. through the epistles that he starts by saying, you know, especially when you see in Colossians, because I've been in Colossians quite a bit this last year. So, you know, Christ is preeminent. Let's look at how God is literally before all things and is first and foremost, and he is the ultimate hero, right? But then to look at why did we need saving in the first place? He goes through all that before he even gets to the one another's, all the, what should we do now? And so for the, for my sister in Christ, who's listening right now going, oh, but you know, this one friend, I just feel like I don't really want to meet with her anymore because I'm so exhausted. She always this, she's always that, whatever it is. Or, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go to that Bible study anymore because it's so difficult and I don't really feel like there's true fellowship happening there. I would just encourage you to, before you analyze, before you really think through any reason I mean, because every, you know, everyone's story is different. And so I can't tell you what you should do or not do in any relationship, but I can say as sisters in Christ, the answer is always to start first and foremost with looking to Christ and saying, Lord, you've forgiven me so Mm -hmm. much. I need to repent of my pride and my judginess of my looking at everything through the, the filter of my convenience, my comfort, what it's doing for me. And so I think if when we first when we start first with hating our own sin, it makes it possible for us to get into the second half of any epistle you're reading, especially in Colossians, to say, "Wow, if I'm going to have these kind of relationships, and if I'm going to see these things come out in our relationships, where we can forgive one another, love one another, if we can serve one another, if we walk away from these bad choices and we make good choices, those are all going to come out of." Believing rightly about God, believing rightly about our sin, believing rightly about our remedy, and that's Christ. And so, again, we have to start there. Just because you think you know it doesn't mean you're actually relying on the gospel for the one another's of the gospel. And I think it's so helpful to remember that ultimately our biggest problems are not other people and what they've done to us. Our biggest problem is the sin that's in our own heart that we need deliverance from. And when we start like having a conversation about repentance has got to start with our posture before the Lord. And like, I, there's no room in my life to, to go and attack somebody for their sin or be like, you did this to hurt me. If I haven't first gone to the Lord and said, God, what do you want me to get right with you first? Yes. Yes. So what can you just maybe take a second and share with us what does repentance look like practically speaking? Is it just saying sorry? <laughs> like I'm in on a practical level with your sister in Christ, if you've got something that you need to confess to her, do you one thing that comes to mind that I, I think is something we need to get right with God first is is that when we when we go and ask forgiveness. It's not, here's all the reasons I sinned. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I really was kind of justified in that. I know that's one problem with 
that we, um, a misconception of repentance, I guess, that, that we struggle with. But do you have any kind of pointers? Like these are some of the things you should think about if you're going to go and ask forgiveness from somebody. Yeah. So for, for one thing, I'm, you know, being a mom of six, I have a lot of practice every day in really? terms of just, <laughs> lots and lots of practice. So, so excuse me while I give you some tips out of, you know, a coaching my kids through repentance, yes. because I think sometimes we forget that the very things we're teaching our kids is the very thing we need to implement in our adult relationships as well. Yeah. But one of the first things I always say to the boys is start by acknowledging how that person feels, whether you agree with it or not, start by acknowledging that that person was hurt or that person is struggling to tell you what they think. And so you might need to stop talking for a minute. Let that person that you offended, let the person that you've hurt speak. And rather than immediately defend, it's always, it's always worth it to say, thank you for sharing that. And I hear you. And even if we see the situation differently, I am so really, really sorry that it's hurt this much, or I'm really sorry that what I said resulted in these feelings. And I think, I don't know, I think sometimes in really solid, doctrinally sound churches, we sometimes lack the ability to talk about feelings. I don't know why that is. I don't know. But I think that sometimes we get things right theologically, Mm. but we forget to implement just common sense about being kind to one another, yeah. that just because you do it right on paper and by the book doesn't mean you've actually been vulnerable enough to say, wow, I, I hear you and you're safe to cry with me. It's mm-hmm. okay. We don't have to be tough. This, this little repentance moment doesn't have to be us just saying, yes, I do forgive you. I will not hold it against you any longer. Yes, let's say those things, but maybe it's a good thing to say, Gosh, I know it's going to take a little time and I'm I'm sorry that this is hurt and I can't believe you you know had to I, I remember this a situation recently in my adult life where there was a misunderstanding that was left unaddressed for a long time where I did not know that somebody thought I said something that was not actually said <laughs> actually said oh, at all but, yeah. um, but I didn't know that they thought that for several months so yeah. think about how long that person it thought masters. I said that, oh, man. and yes, and never, never came to me and addressed it. It was a, it was a hearsay thing. It was mm-hmm. a hearsay thing, and by the time it came to me, I, I obviously wanted to immediately say, how, how could this have been, a, you know, said this way or addressed this way, and how come nobody came to me? You know, some, some version of that, which mm. is all justified. But the first thing I think I really needed to address was. I am so sorry that you spent seven months thinking that I felt that way Uh or said that. Yeah. Because let me just back up before, before even addressing how I feel maybe totally maligned and, um, you know, misjudged here, or despite the fact that there's been serious miscommunication, I just want to say for you to have lived with that thought for seven months must've eaten you up or must've been terrible. And I'm, I'm so sorry that through all these, miscommunications, you actually felt this. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry that for that. And and I think that that's just a good way for us to remember that we're dealing with human beings. Yes. We're not dealing with, this is not a project. This is not some task to, to check off. We're t- talking about people and people have feelings and people are works in progress. And 
even while addressing and asking forgiveness or repenting or confronting, even in that moment, even if you've planned it all out, we are works in progress and you can't control the journey that that other person's on. He or she may or may not be responding the way you imagined in your mind. He or she may not be ready for whatever it is yet. And so I think it's good to start with the humility where when you go to somebody and you're asking forgiveness to recognize that this is something that you must do before the Lord and with this other person, but you don't necessarily control or deserve or can command the response that you want. There have been times where sometimes I get the kind of reconciliation, the response I want, and sometimes I don't. Yeah. Um, and so when I say to the boys, first acknowledge how that how your brother might be feeling. Secondly, don't just say, I'm sorry, apologize and acknowledge you're wrong. And then realize that he may take, you know, I would love for him to immediately give you a hug back and say, I forgive you. Let's go play, you know, but sometimes if he has stubbornness of heart, that's between him and the Lord, right? And he, if he doesn't want to forgive you right away. And so I'm just getting into mm-hmm. that just to say, it's not as simple as we, I don't want to ever give this cliche sense of if you do this and you do that, you're, you're repenting the right way and yeah. it's all good. I think it's really complicated and it's hard. And there's a reason why Christian women shy away from mm. confronting and repenting and confessing yeah. and forgiving. It's all very, very messy and very, very hard. But I think first and foremost, it starts with us giving thanks and agreeing with God mm-hmm. that forgiveness is ultimately from him and agreeing with him that there's no sin too big to to forgive. Yeah. And so ultimately, when we agree with him that our sins have been forgiven, then we don't walk around constantly condemned and in guilt. And so then we don't need to constantly walk around condemning and guilting either. Yeah. I think there is a sense in which, too, when we're fearful, somebody's going to hold our sin against us. Mm-hmm. We can tend to be like kind of holding things to our close to our hearts. Like, well, yeah. if I let this part of me go, if I let my forgiveness be free, then they're just going to hurt me or something like sure. that. And and I think there's that real, that, you know, forgiving, repenting and confessing our sins. And then in situations when we've been the wronged party to, to freely forgive is really an act of trusting God, that he's going to take care of us, that he's going to bless our willingness to, you know, open our hearts to our our brother or sister in Christ in that sense. And when you were talking, I just felt so convicted about like, like all these moments that came to mind, like, oh, I was not very, you know, willing to hear or willing to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you or something like that, where it's just like, well, of course it wasn't that way. Like, you know, my response is right. like, you know, no, you're wrong about me or something like that. And feeling right. like my rights need to ma- be maintained in terms of, no, you thought wrong things about me and they weren't true. And that's not fair. And and really in those situations, I think the thing that the Lord has convicted me about later is that actually God is the one that maintains my reputation. He's the one who upholds me when I've been wronged or when other people have thought things about me that aren't true, that God sees all that and he knows and he will, he will be just and he can, he's sovereign and he'll care for me in those. And that the way, and you're describing 
that situation that I was just saying, you know, that was what happened with me was, was I didn't have a say in what was accidentally passed on. Yeah. This misrepresentation. And, and one of the things I learned in that moment and in the whole, I mean, it was fully reconciled. There was great, um, there was great unity after everything mm. was dealt with. But what I learned through that painful process was that my response when I've been wronged, my response when somebody has maligned me intentionally or unintentionally, my response is the opportunity for somebody else to see Christ's forgiveness and for somebody else to see um, and learn about how we can deal with one another as sisters in Christ. That it's not just about me in that moment. It's about, okay, this is this is going to happen over and over. So my response here either shows that Christ is all or that my reputation is the most important. Because at the end of the day, if if what you say is true, Bethany, that which it is, that God is the one who is he gets to rule my reputation. He gets to do what he will with who I am. And I will surrender to him upholding that, that ultimately we get to show that Christ is preeminent by the way we rest in that and don't fight and feel like we have to convince others to put us first. And so that's tricky because you do speak truth and love and say, no, I didn't say that. And I want to make sure that you understand what I did say, but at the same time to not make that opportunity all about justifying yourself, but to say, okay, I have an opportunity here to make our Christian fellowship and our union most important. Our reconciliation is more important than me making sure that I come out smelling like roses and looking amazing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think also, like we were talking, it made me just really think about how we've got to be prayerful, how we have got to be bringing this to the Lord and submitting it to Him. And like you were talking about, agreeing with Him about the truth of the situation and also just saying, okay, Lord, I need help because right now I feel like my reputation is my highest good, that my me being justified in this is the best thing that could ever happen to me. And I just need to know that you're going to take care of me in this and not, not just strive for this or grasp for what I feel like is mine. Absolutely. You are just now getting ready to release, as we're recording this, you're getting ready to release your study in Colossians and we'll be airing this a couple weeks after that releases. Or We're very excited about this. And with that in mind, I did ask if you would share how some of the one another's of scriptures, such as Colossians 3, 12 to 17, it's a passage that I feel is really near and dear to my heart. I memorized that with my kids a few years ago, and it's just been a beautiful shaping influence in our home, something we've been able to point back to. I'm just wondering if you would talk a little bit about how these one another's of scripture, like in Colossians, they really guide and shape how we love one another. Yeah, let me read it for us real quick. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Oh, I love that passage too, Bethany. Mm. And you know, um, I think this is such a good reminder that you can't put on unless you put off first. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Paul is so clear to tell us our who are we are in Christ. What is the in Christ is such a major theme in Colossians and God's preeminence through and Christ's preeminence in in the the will of God is absolutely our um greatest treasure and what we've been invited into. And so when we start there and say, okay, so I can put off all these other things that I think to go along with the vocabulary that you've just been using to put off all these other things that I think are my highest good, self-protection, self-preservation, being number one, making sure that everybody does what I say, all these things that, you know, that cause us to want to be angry, cause us to want to um, deceive, cause us to want to be prideful. When we put those things off, we put them off because Christ is our highest good and that in him we've been given an identity and an inheritance in Christ that, wow, literally if you spend some time you know, reading about all the ways in which Christ has made us alive in him, you really get to the point in chapter three and the passage that we've just read and realize, oh, that's why I can put on these things. Not put on as in like, it's just some garment that we just throw on and then we take off suddenly. No, that it's something we put on every day and say, okay, I am unclothed if I don't wrap myself up in this very, um, this very thing that Christ has given me to share with others. So it's almost, in some ways, I think of it, I don't know, I don't know if this is the right imagery, but sometimes I think of it as almost like a cloak or a big blanket that mm. we say, I'm going to put this on and I'm going to invite others to come under this cloak together. Like I, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to use what I can, what I am guarding my heart with this, this, all that is in Christ, I'm going to use this to serve this other person who can come under this cloak as well. Yeah. And um, and so all that to say, ultimately, we accomplish that not by just simply waking up in the morning and saying, today, I really want to be humble and kind and patient. We already know from the fruit of the Spirit that it's a work of the Spirit. Yes. But Paul takes it on a little bit further in this passage and ultimately says that we also serve one another in this way by repeating, right? It's speaking the truth through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs by letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us means we're not doing any of this stuff apart from reminding one another of the truth of the gospel, reminding one another that Christ is preeminent, that our inheritance our inheritance is in Christ, reminding one another that we have made been made alive in him. We're no longer dead in our trespasses. And to remind one another, hey, everything you need in life and in holiness and in self-worth and in purpose is found in Christ. When we say those things to one another through scripture and through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we are ultimately showering one, one another with forms of like the ultimate form of love, right? We're ultimately showering one another with truth. And that's how we can ultimately keep putting on those one another's over and over again. Beautiful. 
I love that. Thank you so much. I, I always love when you hashtag something, if we were having coffee today and you don't know this, but I was having coffee with you today (laughs) (laughs) and I just feel so encouraged and blessed by this and reminded of so many good things that I just need to continually preach to my own heart. And so I'm so thankful for this conversation, Ruth. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, the last question I ask every guest is what has the Lord been using in your life lately to encourage you in walking faithfully with him? Hmm. Well, when you ask that question, I immediately think in terms of resources. And Mm. for me, one of the things that's really helped for me lately is to use the dwell app and the the dwell app, um, makes it possible. I don't, I don't substitute. I mean, as in, I still truly try every day to find a good quiet amount of time where I can open physical copy of the word of God so that my fingers can run across the pages and see notes from previous seasons Mm. because actually it's gotten harder and harder. I'll just be honest. It's getting harder and harder. Most of the time I just end up opening my phone app and some days I just go, Oh my goodness. I just want to listen to the dwell app. And you know what? It's wonderful to use the dwell app, but um, I still find it beautiful to to actually open up a physical copy of the word. But I listen to Felix. He's one of the readers <laughs> and uh, he's got a, a South African accent and I have guitar music playing in the background. And he's been reading through, well, I listened to him to read through all of Job, which was incredible. I was in tears as I was on a walk, even reading through Oh my goodness, First Chronicles, you know, where, where I'm literally like, oh, my genealogies, you know, but yeah. um, sometimes when you're getting through passages like that, just let somebody read it over you. And that's been really helpful because the thing that I want to leave with my sisters as they're listening in is just don't give up. Don't give up letting the word of God dwell in you richly. I, for one, will confess and admit alongside you that sometimes it's hard and sometimes I don't run to God's word. Sometimes I don't find it really inspiring and enjoyable and I'm exhausted and I am not getting something, quote, something out of it, but don't give up and find various ways to re-engage. And if it means that you take a long walk and let Felix read it over you, you might go back and go, wow, I forgot about that passage. And now I want to go open up God's word and meet him there again. I'm so thankful for that. Ruth, you actually made me cry a little bit. Just that don't give up letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I needed to hear that today. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing this encouragement with me and with our listeners. I've been so blessed. Thanks for having me. I am so glad that you were here, friend, and I'm praying that this week's show will convict and bless you as you make the connection between our theology and our love for our neighbors. Before we close, can I ask you a favor? If you've been blessed at all by even one or two episodes of the Women Encouraged podcast, will you take a moment and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform? This is more than just making us feel good about the work we're doing. Leaving us a rating and review actually ensures that we're easy to find when someone is searching for our content or for biblical encouragement for women. We would be so grateful for this kind of help in continuing to reach women with gospel-centered hope and truth for everyday life. It has certainly been a challenge during the past year to draw near to one another and demonstrate love in actual physical proximity to those outside our homes. And the internet is full of memes and jokes about how hard it has been to be stuck inside with our husbands or our roommates or children. I would challenge and encourage you, though, to ask the Lord to make you more aware of opportunities that He's giving you to love the neighbors closest to you in your home. 
and then ask him to show you how you can love and serve those outside. People in your church, people in your community, maybe your neighborhood. Sometimes we will be afforded opportunities to lay down our lives in acts of service, but often the way we love these neighbors will be to offer patience, to extend forgiveness, to put away our irritation and resentment about being put upon again, or to choose not to insist upon our own way. We don't have to do this in our own strength, though, and if we do, we will certainly fail. But our God has given us His Spirit to empower and enable us to love, and we can call on Him knowing these requests honor Him and that He's faithful to answer these prayers and to provide us with occasions to love one another as He has loved us. Thanks again for being here.